I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today wherever you listen to your podcasts. I don't think I've kept it much of a secret that my degree in college was political science, not marketing and certainly not employer branding because there's pretty much no such thing as that uh, from a degree standpoint. But I'm a political science person and I I like to quote the one and only Tip O'Neill, former Speaker of the House way back in the, in the late 80s, uh, back when it was done right, frankly, for my money, uh, before the world went topsy-turvy seven times over. <laughs> It's hard to believe. I think of the 80s as the good old days, but here we are. Um, All politics is local, right? It it doesn't matter if you voted one way on a bill or not bill and a big law or not a big law. If you can't get the potholes fixed, don't bother coming home, right? This idea that it doesn't matter what the big ideas are, but politics is about appeasing the locality. And that's has a lot of resonance in employer branding, whether we realize it or not. And that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, when we get back, sure, what the heck, let's just jump right into it. We'll be right back. Welcome to the TalentCast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis, and I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here, recording live from Chicago. Housekeeping, um, got a couple of webinar things coming up. I'll put some links in the show notes. Otherwise, hey, you know, I still wrote a book. It's still there. It didn't disappear. Talent Chooses You is getting some great reviews. If, you, uh, if you've bought it and you liked it, I would absolutely appreciate it if you dropped an Amazon review. Would love that, uh, along with the ones that are there already. So I, I do appreciate that. If you haven't bought it, you should, because look at the reviews on Amazon. Clearly, people seem to be liking it. Uh, yeah, so it's there. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I, I think the uh, the new version of the newsletter seems to be working. People seem to be responding to it. So if you go to employerbrand.news, if you haven't subscribed already, it is completely different content from this. But uh, yeah, if you're an employer brand and you're not subscribing, I don't know why, frankly. Uh, it's not nearly as much about me as this podcast is. It's all about what I'm finding online and kind of pointing you to good stuff. So there you go. That's enough of the housekeeping stuff. So... All politics is local. And I think the concept of all politics is local is funny because it seems like in the last couple of years, it's actually flipped. Every local politics is national, right? If there is a tiny, you know, here in Chicago, if there is a, a, a conversation around do we move something from point A to point B, the Democrats and the Republicans show up as if it's a national issue. Like everything gets turned into us versus them so far and so quickly and so loudly that they bring to bear all these um, you know, national presence and sometimes even national news. And it really sucks because I don't think that's really how it should be. But hey, one man's opinion, et cetera, et cetera. But all politics is local really is 
kind of a mantra when it comes to politics. You know, it, to you know any governor, to any senator, to any president. Frankly, if you are dealing with big issues and you can't solve the little things, if people feel like you're spending too much time in foreign policy and not enough time making sure food is inexpensive, a la George Bush numero uno, that was kind of the big ding on him that he was spending all his time in foreign foreign policy stuff, which he was, former head of the CIA. And this is a history lesson now, apparently. Uh, And he wasn't really down with a common man, which is why Bill Clinton kind of stepped in and went, let me show you how the common man does it, for better or for worse. This is not a judgment right there. Um, You know, if if you can't figure out what's local, what's resonating, what's real to the person you're trying to speak to, your big idea, your big master plan, your big policy conceptual shift means exactly but guess. Now, I think that's interesting because we are now seeing a clear shift in our worlds away from what I refer to lovingly as monolithic employer brands. Um, you know, let's take Amazon. We've used Amazon before. It's no secret what their quote unquote employer brand is, or at least their tagline is. It's we pioneer um, or pioneering, or really it's the concept of, yeah, we pioneer is, is roughly it. Um, and that concept of an employer brand gets applied across the board. The people who are inventing new apps for my little robot buddy puck friend, whose name I cannot say because she's in the living room listening to me and I can't say mean things about her. I'm blinking. Help. No. Um, you know, I, I, the people who develop those apps and the people who are developing, working on the robots that make the warehouses work and the people who work in the warehouses trying to stay the hell out of the way out of the robots and maybe showing up on time. And that's a separate conversation right there. Uh, they, they're pioneering, right? They're doing things that have never been done. They're inventing new ways of getting things done that have never been done before. Jeff Bezos is talking about building a whole internet for space. You know, he's doing things that have never been done before. He's clearly pioneering. Is he overstepping bounds? Again, I know you show up at Congress and these conversations are there. That's not what I'm here for. Scott Galloway makes a compelling argument that all those four companies are way too big, and I cannot disagree, but that is not the conversation we're having today. Um, And by the way, if you haven't read Scott Galloway's The Four, you absolutely should. It will leave you, as the kids say, shook. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a monolithic brand. It is a concept being applied across the board. Now, Amazon being no dummies, no slouches, certainly. Um, it, it, you know, you can say a lot of bad things about Amazon, but you can't say that they're dumb. You really, really can't. Um, the concept is nice and broad. We pioneer could mean anything. We're pioneers in the space of lawyering. We're pioneers in the space of digital technology. We're pioneers, pioneering in the space of warehouse technology. We're pioneering in the space of bringing... Um, um, my kids show tumbleweed, tumbleleaf, tumbleleaf. Yeah, tumbleleaf. I was gonna say tumbleweeds, but it's tumbleleaf. And those of you with kids just heard the theme song in the back of your head. Um, you know, bringing tumbleleaf to your house so your kids can quietly shut up and stare blankly at a TV screen for 25 minutes while soft music plays in the background. They're pioneers, right? They're pioneers across the board. And it is a monolithic concept, a single idea concept spread across the board. Now, of course, it's not spread evenly. It's not spread the same across the board. Really, it's a concept that is so broad that the lawyers can look at it and interpret it and make it clear to them. Yes, we're the kinds of people who pioneer. And your warehouse technicians can say, yep, we are the kinds of people who pioneer robotics and someone who's, you know, making animated uh, Fox cartoons, you know, la la la, you know, can say we're pioneering the space of children's animation. 
Sure, great, that's an easy fix. And frankly, because they're flipping Amazon, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world, they get to do that that way. They get to make a nice, big, clear, obvious North Star tech, you know, kind of thing, and we all use that North Star terminology a lot, perhaps a bit too much for my taste, and guilty as charged right here. Um, but because they're Amazon, the concept of a very simple North Star like we pioneer makes sense. And there's only a handful of companies for whom that can be said. There are a lot of companies that simply, in fact, most companies are not nearly that big, not nearly that well-known, not where people aren't willing to say, I know enough about this company to be able to interpret the concept of We Pioneer and reintegrate it into my concept of this team I'm thinking about working on and saying this is what this probably means. You only do that for a handful of companies, and there are only a handful of companies for whom you know enough about to say, I can kind of put that together. For the rest of us, 99.999 percenters, as it were, that doesn't fly. The concept of a monolithic brand simply doesn't fly. Why? And I'm bringing up a term that I don't know if Craig Fisher invented, but he said it first to me anyway when I heard it that he was it was coming out of his mouth. Uh, and it's a concept of microcultures. And if he didn't coin it, then I apologize to whoever did. It's just I'm passing along the path. And Craig, if you're listening, <laughs> I know you're not. Uh, tell me where you found it if you didn't invent it. Otherwise, congrats, you invented a term. And you know we all just want to do that. Microcultures, right? That the lawyer team the sales team, the development team, the leadership team, the administrative team, the HR team, all the different teams have many cultures. That the Singapore office is different from the Gutenberg office is different from the Berlin office is different from the Detroit office. That there are micro cultures. That in an Amazon where you have you know, footprints pretty much in almost every country in the world these days in multiple locations in places like the U.S. When they do multiple things, they're in everything from robot technology and driving trucks up to your house to deliver the whatever goofy thing you need. This week, I bought mask clips, little plastic springy hooks to kind of tighten the ear holes on masks for my child. And this week in my Amazon purchases. Um, you know, that you can do that. You need microcultures because every team is a little bit different and they all see the concept of we pioneer differently. Now, do they describe how they describe that concept of we pioneer, how they interpret that sense of we pioneer? Do they have different stories? They probably have their own stories about we pioneer in those individual microcultures, but do they build their own collateral? I don't know. Do they have their own talking points? Do they invent their own bullet points on job postings? I don't know. But on some level, the nice big concept of we pioneer gets interpreted pretty, pretty easily. Again, we go back to your company, a company that very few people probably know, especially in relation to say an Apple or an Amazon, right? They don't know all the ins and outs of what you do. They don't know all the, the details of who you are and what you spend your time doing. Even companies that, you know, companies that are relatively well known, it's not always clear how they make their money. And thus, it's not always clear why they're hiring for certain things. And thus, it's very hard for a job seeker to interpret what a North Star monolithic employer brand EVP positioning statement might mean for that given job. So that's why we build pillars. Now, pillars is a controversial subject, not actually controversial, uh, but kind of nerdily controversial because I don't think everybody sees pillars the same way. And that's fine. I'm not going to say I have all the answers in this case or I have the answer in this case, but I certainly have an opinion. What? Me? An opinion? I know. Welcome to my show. Um, 
There are people who just take a company's stated values, translate them into positioning statements and call them pillars and say, boom, there it is. There are people who say, um, we're going to say, if that's our ta- if that's our, if that's our EVP, that core idea, what are some of the other ideas that we couldn't shoehorn into that bigger idea? And that's our pillars. Okay. I guess that's a thing. Um, you have, what are the audiences for these things and how do we interpret for microcultures? And I guess that's kind of a way, and I have a way of different way of doing it. And my way is to say, the pillars are the things that support the core idea. I think very, by now you have to know that I think very metaphorical, and in this case, I think very physical of an architecture that the EVP is kind of like the thing on the top of the roof and the pillars are literally the pillars that hold up the roof, right? These are the things, the concepts that hold up the core concept that you get to see. So for example, if your brand is, we're innovating the future, and there's a nice brand that means nothing, and that could be taken and probably has been used by about 100,000 different companies in the last five years, but that's neither here nor there. Since it is a concept that is very vague and broad and open, and maybe it doesn't get applied equally to all your different microcultures, maybe innovation is purely in the consumer space, but there's no innovation in accounts receivable, right? (laughs) They're still faxing it up. right? That they're still doing stuff the same old way. They haven't figured out what this old DocuSign thing is, um, right? They, they, they do things the old-fashioned way. And in that case, that team cannot say that they're all about innovating the future. They're all about just getting the stupid job done in the stupid way they've always done it. That's too very wildly divergent ideas. In fact, you might even call them mutually exclusive. You can't be the same. But frankly, there are plenty of companies where that's true, where one team is absolutely innovative and one team absolutely is not, where it seems like they've invented time travel in reverse. It just doesn't make sense. So in that case, saying your employer brand, your monolithic employer brand is inventing the future, is kind of a stretch which of course we all know is, a, is, is code word for a lie <laughs> or shaky at best and will not pass you know, uh, the, the sniff test, will not you know, survive a little shaking here and there. So consequently, the pillars. And the pillars are there to say, look, we innovate in our own ways or we say, look, there are also these other things, these other concepts and other ways we do things. And for example, it might be we have a lot of respect for our people. It's a lot of um, we, not me kind of thing to tagline it up for you. Uh, there is a sense of, um, you know, that, and that kind of speaks to collaboration. It speaks to um, consensus-driven culture, which certainly is a very particular aspect of culture, not one I'm always familiar with or, fr- or not, I am familiar with, sadly. Uh, it just doesn't jive with me, and I've learned the hard way that I should stay away from those kinds of cultures. Um, I don't, I don't work well there. What again? So strange. James making so many admissions today. It's true. Welcome to confession booth time here on the Taloncast. You know the other pillar might be about. Um, you know, the reason why you do what you do, maybe it is about prestige, maybe it is about helping people, maybe it is about creating success in the market, maybe it is about that there's an innate value in human beings that you want to support in whatever way you can do it. There's lots of different pillars you can apply to that. And I think if you focus on the values, the thing that you do is you miss this idea that values are very, very vague and fuzzy. Values are usually 
puff pieces, right? They're just things you make into posters, you stick on the wall, someone referred to them as poster fodder, and I feel like that tickled me so hard at the time. And they're just stuff you say, they're nice things to say, they're Hallmark greeting cards, you know, saying I love you, you know, relative to say, I don't know, taking out the trash when not asked for someone who's, you know, whose love language is, you know, actions and, and, and service, you know, and there's a whole unpacking conversation we don't have to get into if you don't want to, if you don't know what that means, you may or may not be richer for it. Uh, you know, saying something is not the same as doing something or showing something or speaking it and, 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 and uh, having real purpose behind it. You can say your culture is to respect all people and maybe you can apply that to black and African Americans, Latinx and, and LGBTQs and disabled and military and whomever and Asians and Native Americans and women and whomever, right? Go nuts. Uh, you can say it easily. Every company can say it easily. Companies super well known for not believing in any of that stuff can say it. So it doesn't mean anything. Saying it is easy. Saying your value is X means nothing. It's how you show it. It's how you do it. That's how your, your value kind of becomes something real and meaningful and actionable. Unfortunately, we've all kind of read these books and mag article mag you know, from magazines saying, oh yeah, every company needs values. So we all go out, we go build us some values and we don't quite get how they're used. And maybe that magazine had a really nice case study about how a company did it. Now they align their company more and they're doing things better. And those magazine articles skim over the, the deep hard work it takes to do it. They make it seem like, oh yeah, you just kind of check the boxes and boom, you're a better company for it. And that's all bullshit. Tangent time, there you go. But converting your values into brand pillars is a, is a how. It's not a what, it's not even a why, it's a how. We do it because of our values and our values say that we do things respectfully or we do things aggressively or we do things collaboratively or we do things, these are the things we value. Because the problem with values is that it's pretty much a lie because frankly, the first value of every single company is make a stack of cash. And yet somehow I don't see a lot of companies whose value on their value statement is make a stack of cash or increase margins or increase shareholder value. That's certainly not a, <laughs> that's not a, as, as, as inspiring a, a value proposition or a value statement as saving lives or innovating the future or uh, we, not me, right? And that's why values is such a BS statement because it, it, it's ignoring the elephant of the room of the company doesn't exist to innovate the future. It's innovating to make money. Got it. Cool. So converting values, which we now know are fuzzy and, and imperfect and frankly, mostly bullshit, um, converting them into pillars, a thing that should be clear and concise and concrete doesn't work. So you need pillars that support and they say, okay, if you're innovating, innovating and. I think I've mentioned this before. I feel like I in my day job at the universe, I might say this a lot too. This concept of, you know, if you look at pharmaceutical companies, they all say they're all about innovation and purpose. Well, that's because the reason you become a pharmaceutical company is because you want to make something new, innovation, and that thing you make new should save lives. Purpose. Boom. It's literally, you can't make a non-innovative pharmaceutical company. It's not possible. We're going to uninvent drugs. We're going to, I mean, I don't get that, right? That's not possible. The problem, of course, is that because it's an easy kind of go-to, everybody goes to it. Every single pharmaceutical company, if you look at, maybe not every single one, but certainly the biggest 10, according to Google, if you look at their career site, it's innovation and purpose, innovation and purpose, innovation and purpose. And consequently, when they're all innovation and purpose, none of that means anything. 
right? What's it's the Incredibles line when everybody's special, nothing, no one is special. If everybody says innovation and purpose, no one can stand up to saying I'm innovative and purposeful. If everybody says they're about customer service and everybody offers the same customer service, what do you mean you're all about customer service? It's not differentiating. You have to be able to say, okay, if your EVP is innovation and purpose, and I don't think I'm gonna talk any pharma companies out of this, your pillars under that define who you are relative to the competition. So if you're pharmaceutical A, your pillars might be move fast and break things. It might be speed is of the essence and prestige. Great. Okay, under the banner of innovation and purpose, I now have a pretty clear sense of what you're all about. I get you. Company B, innovation and purpose, it is slow and steady. It is focus on the, you know, the, the task at hand. It is consensus, it is you know, uh, uh, um, the value of the mob, so to speak, it is the value of the masses, the, the wisdom of that kind of group think in, you know, it, it done properly, it's certainly a lot of value in that. Um, that is a very different company than company A. They both have EVPs of innovation and purpose, but now their pillars are what define them. Okay, but that's, that's imperfect because what they put on their career site is innovation and purpose. On top of which, when you go back to microcultures, you can't just say innovation and purpose to those microcultures. It doesn't connect because they go, we're the same as every company and now we're the same as every team? I don't get that. So what you have to do is say for a given team, here is your EVP. And again, let's stick to pharma for a second, innovation and purpose. And you're gonna take one or two or maybe all the pillars and say, these are the pillars that apply most to you. And it helps us define and shape what we mean by innovation and purpose. So, hey, sales team, innovation and purpose, but also it is prestige because you work for a brand that's saving lives and has the, the highest level of innovation, or at least we are proud of our prestige and we reward things that drive our prestige, right? Sales, that makes sense uh, for some kinds of salespeople anyway. Um, you might even say it's about... Um, Gosh, I'm trying. I'm, I'm blanking on what my, how my metaphor wants to go. Or you might even say that along with prestige and innovation and purpose, it's also collaboration, or it's also individual achievement. And in sales, that makes perfect sense. You can't take those exact same pillars and take them to the R and D team because you know opportunity and individual achievement may not make sense. We're in a day and age where R and D is very, very communally driven. It's not, you know, Louis Pasteur in, a, in the back of a garage somewhere trying to make something happen. It is huge teams, and let's be fair, lots of AI behind them trying to figure out if they are going to make a couple of bets on where to take this, you know, where, where to, what kind of drugs to build, and what will likely turn into a potential drug down the road. They need a lot of brains being applied to this problem, and those, you know, that can't happen by individual achievement. So you can say. This brand is innovation, it's also purpose, it's also status, but it's also individual achievement and collaborative because at no point do you say, hey, random person, here's our EVP and here are all our pillars because those things are not publicly shared. That's why when I talk about Amazon so much, it's because I happen to know what their brand is and I happen to know where they've put it and they happen to know that occasionally they put it on their websites. If you know where to look, it's there, but it's not shouted from the rooftops. And frankly, your employer brand should not be shouted from the rooftops. It's a concept, one that you wrap up in a creative kind of packaging 
to put out to the world, but the concept is something that you and your boss and maybe some leaderships know, and that's about it. It doesn't have to be a publicly known idea. An EVP is not a tagline. An EVP is not a poster. An EVP is not a hashtag. It's an idea. And you can apply creative concepts to it all day long. And that's kind of the fun part is that you get to take a concept that stays the same year after year after year, but you come up with creative treatments for it for given seasons, for given senses of fashion. Hey, turns out there's a pandemic. Great. We have a great, well, maybe not great. Well, that was awkward. Uh, but okay, understood. That's a, that's a new ecosystem we now live in. I can translate our EVP concept into a world of COVID, and that's what it's supposed to do. And now when you have pillars, you can figure out, given you're talking to different audiences, which pillars go with the EVP to different audiences. So coming back to the kind of beginning, it's how you localize your EVP. You use the, the pillars in the creative process. The problem is we look at an EVP and we think, ah, oh, that's the thing. That's the end result. And it's not. It's kind of like when Uber said, and you know, not to bring Uber up in every podcast here, but you know, when Uber said, we have an idea around this idea that people can use their cars to give rides to other people. That's just a concept. It's a good concept. Well, maybe at the time it was probably a crazy concept. And honestly, some crazy concepts are really, really good. But until you build it out and say, well, this is how taxis use it. And this is how big cars and nice cars and you know simple cars. And this is how you, oh, here's what the app looks like to make it work. Until you apply it to different audiences and until you apply it and make it real, it's just a concept, right? Uber doesn't say much that it's trying to change the transportation sector because that's, that's unnecessary. That's an that's a investor pitch. What it means to you and me is that when you need a car, it's possible that it's very close by and you open up your phone and you click a button, you make it happen. Same for Lyft. It's not a, I'm not being brand specific here. I'm simply saying the concept is not the same as the treatment. The concept is not the same as the execution. Concepts are great. Look at the Newton, Apple Newton. Great concept, handwriting recognition, crap. It would take 10, 15 more years before the technology kind of sorted itself out to make any kind of sense that it actually worked. Concepts are concepts, but concepts are meaningless until you actually put them in action. So for an EVP, thinking about it as a concept that you must now put into action and then localize as you go is how you create a strong and vibrant EVP architecture. You gotta remember that all politics is local. All EVP is local. If it doesn't speak to that audience or that team or that team leader, it's crap, it's worthless. And that's why I think we're really getting away from monolithic employer brands. Companies are starting to become much, much more savvy, uh, savvy about how to think about employer brands. Yes, are there still companies that see you know, EVP and employer brand as means of filling the funnel as, as glorified recruitment marketing reasons to put an ad out? Yes. Is that sad? Yes. Is it still true? Yes. But is it changing? Slowly. It is absolutely changing slowly. And more and more companies are getting smarter about thinking about their EVP. That they don't say, ah, oh, we have the EVP, slap it on the bottom of every website and every email signature we have. Nope, it's not how that works. It's an idea. Now, how do you activate it? That's why the concept of activation is so powerful. The concept is nice. How you activate it is where all the, the heavy thinking gets done. You can have one person invent your EVP, but activation is done 
through everybody. Everybody's hands have to touch it. Everybody has to pick it up and put it in their email signature. Everybody has to pick it up and share it with a friend. Everybody has to use it. The concept is just a concept and it means nothing until it's activated. And that means getting away from those monolithic brands and figuring out how do you make a modular, flexible approach to your employer brand. And I love to see that that's happening more and more. I love to see that the conversations I'm having about, yeah, it's, it is not just, I just need to buy an EVP. It's I need to get an EVP architecture. I need to get an EVP and pillars because I need to use them and localize them. Sometimes you call them regionalized. Sometimes you call them microcultures, what have you. But I need to apply it in different ways to different audiences because I need it to stick. Because just saying we pioneer only works for Amazon. It only works when when you see it, you go, well, yeah, that sounds like Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. Company you don't know doesn't play. So you've got to get more specific, get more connected to the reality of the work so it's supported by your actual employees who say, yeah, this is actually what it's like to work here. And that's where it becomes strong. All politics is local. All EVPs are local. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. If you have any thoughts, questions, issues, let me know. Otherwise, I have at least one interview and hopefully two interviews coming up soon. Uh, An interview is never the right word. It's conversation. They're friends of mine. Otherwise, I will talk to you next week. Bye. This has been an episode of the Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn, just say hello or let's just talk. That's linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I'd pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me, let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.